Better American Bankruptcy Institute podcast. I am Amy Quackenboss, ABI's Deputy Executive Director. Our topic today is the role of the Chief Restructuring Officer in bankruptcy. This is also the subject of ABI's newest publication, The Chief Restructuring Officer's Guide to Bankruptcy. Chief Restructuring Officers, or CROs as they are called in the industry, are often engaged by distressed companies to oversee the restructuring process. And although the employment of a CRO is becoming more common in Chapter 11 cases, the Bankruptcy Code does not even mention CRO, nor does it give any guidance to an individual who has been engaged as a CRO to assist a distressed company. ABI's CRO guide was written by several different authors and was a special project of ABI's Financial Advisors and Investment Banking Committee. With me today to discuss the role of a CRO and to give us a summary of the CRO's guide are Chris Ward, who served as the editor and author of the guide, and Melissa Hager and Ken Rosen, who also were authors for the publication. Chris serves as vice chair of Polsonelli's PC. Polsonelli PC's Bankruptcy and Restructuring Practice Group and is the managing shareholder of Polsonelli's Wilmington, Delaware office. Chris focuses his practice on corporate bankruptcy, financial restructuring, bankruptcy litigation, out-of-court workouts, and debtor and possession financing. He has been recognized for excellence in Delaware bankruptcy and financial restructuring by Chambers USA every year since 2010 and by Super Lawyers as a rising star in Delaware bankruptcy and debtor rights. Mr. Ward ser serves on the advisory board of the Daily DAC and is the editor of the Polsonelli PC Bankruptcy Reporter. He received his BS from Moravian College and his JD from Widener University School of Law. Also with us is Melissa Hager. She is of counsel in the Business Restructuring and Insolvency Group of Morrison & Forrester LLP in New York. Her practice focuses on complex business reorganizations, debt restructurings, asset sales, and insolvency matters. Ms. Hager serves as the membership and sponsorship director of the New York Network of the International Women's Insolvency and Restructuring Confederation. She received her BA from Providence College and her JD from Quinnipiac School of Law, where she was an associate editor of its law review. Ken Rosen is a partner with Lowenstein Sandler LLP and leads the firm's bankruptcy, financial reorganization, and creditors' rights group in New York. He has significant experience with Chapter 11 reorganizations, out-of-court workouts, financial reorganizations, and litigation. Ken has written extensively about bankruptcy in the real estate and general business press. He is listed in the Best Lawyers in America and in the 2008 to 2012 editions of the Chambers U.S. America's Leading Lawyers for Business. The Deals Bankruptcy Insider also ranks Ken among the top unsecured creditor attorneys in the country. Ken received his BS from Cornell University, his JD from the Benjamin N. Cardoza School of Law, and his MBA from Columbia University. Each of our guests has extensive experience dealing with chief restructuring officers, and I'm pleased that they are sharing that experience with us today. Chris, let's start with you. What prompted the idea for a CRO book? Well, thanks for the opportunity, Amy. The book was the brainchild of the Financial Advisor and Investment Banking Committee of the American Bankruptcy Institute, which I'm currently serving as the co-chair of. Um, as you know, the ABI is a strong library of published materials, and it strongly encourages its committees to take an active role in developing uh, materials to be published. I was approached by the then co-chairs, uh, Ted Gavin and Dan Dooley, um, to write a book on behalf of the Financial Advisor and Investment Banking Committee that filled what we thought was a void in the restructuring community for a soups-to-nuts, start-to-finish restructuring guide for the chief restructuring officer. As you mentioned, the CRO role is new to our community, and we didn't think there was anything within the ABI publications that really a CRO could pick up upon engagement and walk through, take that book and walk through until the closing of a case. I think over the last year and a half of working through various drafts and dealing with the 
the numerous authors uh, throughout the ABI community over the last year and a half, we've been able to put together a book that fills that void and provides this soups to nut type um, restructuring, you know, comprehensive manual for the CRO. And other than the CRO, who do you think would benefit from reading this book? Virtually anyone facing a restructuring event can benefit from from the book. While it is targeted for the CRO, as they'll be the individual actually facing the tough day-to-day decisions at the company, the book will be a useful resource for other members of the management team, including the CRO and other officers of the company, because they most likely have not faced a restructuring event or a Chapter 11 process before. But lawyers can also benefit from the book, um, as they are the ones that are actually dealing with the CRO on a daily basis. Um, What I've heard most from CROs is that while they deal with lawyers who are incredibly smart and well-credentialed, that they're able to address specific issues or or direct situations that occur during the case, but they're not not always able to step back and look at the case from start to finish and walk them through the process. So I think lawyers can benefit from the book as well, since it does take that start-to-finish approach on uh, the role that a CRO plays in the case. So, Melissa, how is this book different from a general Chapter 11 primer for attorneys, though, on, on um, something like ABI would sell? We have a general practor, or Chapter 11 primer. How, how is this book different? Thanks, Amy. Not to take any credit away from the primer that you have for attorneys, Chapter 11 primer, um, which I think is a valuable book out there as well. I think this book provides a unique perspective. First, it's not just written by or for attorneys. It's written for a much broader perspective. It's written for the CROs. It's written for attorneys. It's written for in-house counsel as well as officers of the company who can um, gain some insight and benefit as to the role of the CRO. And this unique book was put together uh, through Chris Ward uh, as the editor who reached out to a variety of people in different facets of the restructuring industry here. If you have everyone from attorneys to financial advisors, bankers that contributed and teamed up, but tried to team up attorneys with a financial advisor type to write the chapters so they could benefit from firsthand experience. And also, of course, uh, there are many people in the book who have contributed to it who actually have served as uh, chief restructuring officers. As Chris mentioned, it also goes from soup to nuts from the, the the decision to hire a CRO or how what factors would be involved in hiring a CRO through the closing of a bankruptcy case for a CRO. So in that sense, it provides a very broad perspective of sort of a life of a CRO in, in a particular case, how it could go and the various obligation twists and turns that come into that. I think that's very different than a primer, a Chapter 11 primer for attorneys that would focus on, you know, the 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 Chapter 11 Bankruptcy Code, what it provides, primary purposes of it, what it offers. It goes above and beyond that. Certainly there's some chapters on important things such as the automatic stay and and 363 sales and and the Chapter 11 plan process, but it goes above and beyond that, gives firsthand experience and by people within various facets of the industry uh, on the life of a CRO in a bankruptcy case. Well, let's discuss some of those specific issues relating to CROs. Ken, what's the benefit of appointing a CRO to a a Chapter 11 case? I think the primary benefit is that it often provides a debtor with credibility. And I'm not, you know, I'm not disparaging a debtor, but uh, frequently the principal or chief executive officer, chief financial officer, chief operating officer have... Uh, put in so much blood, sweat, and tears trying to fix a business that they sometimes have trouble seeing the forest from the trees. 
And when you bring in a chief restructuring officer, you really are bringing someone in who has a, you know, what I would call an unvarnished perspective. They they see things fresh. Uh, they're not jaded by history. They're not jaded by past practices. They don't look at things and say, well, we've you know we've always done it this way. We can't change it. So I think that one of the big benefits that a debtor gets is to receive information that that that's not affected by by history the second thing that a debtor gets by hiring a chief restructuring officer is typically credibility with lenders and credibility with unsecured creditors committees uh... often the chief restructuring officer is the the engagement of the chief restructuring officer is the result of a lender strongly recommending that a borrower select a CRO. The lender may do that because the lender wants to make sure that the financial information that the lender is receiving has been thoroughly vetted. The lender wants to make sure that the debtor's financial information has been analyzed properly. Sometimes a debtor simply doesn't have that skill set. Sometimes a debtor's own accounting firm doesn't have that skill set. So when a debtor engages a chief restructuring officer, presumably a CRO that is uh, that is well regarded by the bank, the debtor also gets the benefit of a higher level of credibility when it comes to the financial projections that are provided to the bank, whether they are financial projections in support of an out-of-court workout or whether they're financial projections trying to induce the bank to be cooperative and to provide financing on a consensual basis in Chapter 11. So I think the, the greatest benefit of a CRO is credibility. And you mentioned that uh, you know lenders request um, sometimes that CROs be appointed when the debtors don't have the skill necessary. Um, are there other uh, interested parties in the case that can ask or typically do request that a CRO be appointed, or sometimes does the debtor on its own request that a CRO be appointed? Well, I I think we've all had situations where the debtor may say, look, um, I want to focus my energy on building back sales revenue. I want to focus my energy on the operating aspects of the business. And Chapter 11 can be very, very time-consuming, not simply by a debtor's professionals, but by uh, in-house management. Uh, I've often said to prospective Chapter 11 debtors that they will be taking a huge portion of their time away from the day-to-day operation of their business and using it to help, you know, conduct the Chapter 11 process. Sometimes a client will say, look, I'd rather, you know, engage someone to oversee the reorganization process um, so that I can focus on, uh, you know, on fixing the underlying business. And um, a CRO can often fill that role. It can free up management to do what management does best. Great. So now, so now we've got the CRO appointed. Um, Chris, what do you think the most challenging aspect for a CRO in restructuring a company is? Well, in my opinion, I think the most challenging aspect of restructuring a dis- the distressed company is handling the various different relationships that must be massaged during the Chapter 11 process. Um, As Ken was referring to, the CRO kind of steps into the process late in the game. Um, The CEO and the other officers of the company, you know, they've been living with this company for, you know, hopefully years at this point and have the background knowledge that's requisite to run the company. 
the CRO is coming into a distressed situation and has to deal with you know, what has now become numerous different parties as opposed to just the secured lender. I mean, years ago what we saw is you come in, you deal with your secured lender, you, know, you reach a deal and you either file a Chapter 11 case or you can do an out-of-court restructuring. But nowadays, bankruptcy has become commonplace almost, and you, you have to deal with a very sophisticated unsecured body. You have junior debt holders, you have mezzanine debt holders, you have note holders, sub-debt, and even equity that you have to deal with. And this is all for a CRO coming into a process that he doesn't have the background with these entities. He's, he's coming in on day one, you know, knowing that he has to restructure all this debt or put together a sale process that's going to maximize value for all creditors. But he, he's also coming in having to learn the operations of the company and how the business is set up. And every party he's going to deal with is going to have the upper hand on him on day one because they've been living this case. You know, they've been living the, the pre-case, living with this company you know, during their entire history. And then once you do file the Chapter 11 case, you have to add the bankruptcy court and the judge and the United States trustee and the official committee of unsecured creditors to that mix. So throughout the entire process, you're just adding more parties to the, the CRO's role as to who he has to deal with. And it can become a very challenging aspect to keep each one of those constituencies informed, but it's a battle that the, the CRO must win in order to succeed in Chapter 11. I mean, they have to develop a very well-thought-out approach to sharing information with all these parties, keeping them informed as to not only how the bankruptcy is progressing, because that, that's public knowledge, that's something that most people are, are going to know just from reviewing the docket, but how the, how the company's projections are looking, how their actual versus budget performance is looking, and really what other options are out there for the company. And he has to report this information to all these different parties and keep them in the loop. Um, I think what we've seen is, in the best way of, of handling this, is taking each different constituency and kind of setting up a weekly conference call with them that your day is Tuesday at 3 o'clock, and we're going to talk to you every Tuesday at 3 o'clock and keep you updated on the process, show you where we're at both in the bankruptcy and with, and with the operations of the company, with our business model, and keep each party informed and give them the the feeling that they're involved in the process. And hopefully that's going to keep them content with how things are going and keep them from objecting to what you're trying to do in the bankruptcy case. And, of course, I think you're going to have instances where there's disgruntled creditors or, or where a, an entity falls in the debt structure that they're just going to be a, a very difficult party to deal with regardless. But keep keeping them in the loop and keeping them informed as to where the case is going and where things stand with respect to the company um, goes a long way to resolving some of those issues. So I, I think that just that communication of keeping all the parties informed is really the most difficult role for a chief restructuring officer. Because it's kind of like herding cats from day one, uh, getting everyone on the same page. And that's the, the ultimate goal of the chief restructuring officer. And Ken, Chris mentioned this, um, that, you know, there's been significant changes in bankruptcy practice with the addition of more diverse creditors and more complex capital structures. But have you seen the job of the CRO change over the years? Yeah, I mean, look, the capital structures today are very different. You know, we have, you know, we used to have bank debt and unsecured debt. Now we have bank debt, secured debt, you know, uh, subordinated secured debt. We have, you know, senior bondholders, junior bondholders. We have people who have, you know, who trade debt. We have people who buy debt with the intention of 
becoming owners of the debtor. So the, the types of players that we have in bankruptcy cases is, nowadays is very different. In the old days, we had Chase Manhattan Bank, and we had you know uh, Wells Fargo. We had what I would call traditional uh, lenders. Today, we have hedge funds that have become uh, you know very prominent lenders. In the old days, you know sometimes the biggest threat to a lender would be you know be careful, or we might let you win when you seek to foreclose upon the assets. Today, we have lenders that are very comfortable taking possession of assets. They're very comfortable taking title and then fixing the business on their own. So I, I agree with everything that Chris said completely. Um, the, the nature of the players are very different. But something Chris said that I, that I think is, is just critical is that, you know, the job of building consensus is really the biggest and most important job of a CRO. Uh, a CRO is no longer simply charged with, you know, what I'll call the operational fix of the business. He or she is no longer simply charged with returning the company to profitability. Their biggest mandate may very well be trying to, as Chris said, you know, herd cats to get them all to agree to the terms of a plan of reorganization or the terms of a sale of the assets. And every one of these constituencies may have a different motivation in terms of how they want to see the bankruptcy case unfold. You may have some trade creditors who don't really care about the dividend as much as they care about retaining a customer. You may have creditors that bought claims at a very deep discount for whom a, a 10 cent dividend is, is, a, is a successful result and, you know, sitting side by side with creditors who bought their, who in effect bought their claims at par. Um, today, we're seeing different types of motivation. So, some, some lenders have bought debt because they want to become owners. Um, we're also seeing, um, seeing a, a very different scenario in terms of how Chapter 11 cases are unfolding. Uh, we're seeing less traditional Chapter 11s, more uh, 363 sales. Uh, the cases are moving along much faster. Chapter 11s are shorter-lived, meaning we're not seeing two, three, four-year bankruptcies anymore. So I think that the, you know, the biggest role, perhaps the most important role of the chief restructuring officer is, is building consensus after taking into account the very different motivations of all the parties and interest in the case. And that can be, as Chris said, quite a challenge. Right. So they don't even they don't just have to keep folks informed. They have to understand the motivations and not just of their own, you know, normal creditor constituents. I mean, there are new constituents out there who are interested in in the case and they have to understand what their motivations are in order to, you know, to come up with either a plan or a sale. Um, and and understand how to accommodate the 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 wishes and the desires of each creditor constituency. Right. Because uh, I think we would all agree that a you know a, a bankruptcy proceeding that is you know heavily litigated is a very expensive and a more risky bankruptcy proceeding. Right, right. Well, that's a tall order, Melissa. Let's say we've engaged the debtors engaged a CRO, a chief restructuring officer, prior to filing bankruptcy. They're a distressed company. They know they need some help. They've engaged a CRO. What factors should a, a CRO consider in connection with filing for bankruptcy? 
Sure. There's a whole litany of uh, considerations that need to, to come into play if, you, if a CRO is retained prior to a bankruptcy filing, um, which just as a matter of point isn't always the case. And part of the changing nature of CROs is that you'll find situations where a CRO comes in post, post-petition, such as a case like ResCap that's, that's pending right now. But if the CRO, you know, is able to be appointed prior to a bankruptcy filing, I think they have to really, they have to look at all the options on, on day one of what are available to them both inside and outside of, of a bankruptcy to determine what is the best course for this particular company. And important in that is getting to know the company as intimately as you can, as quickly as possible, because each company, although we're dealing with the bankruptcy code that is, is a code and uh, applies to all the bankruptcy cases, as it is is put into motion in each different industry and each different nuances of, of a debtor's company, it applies very differently based upon the, the nature of that business. So I think you really, from day one, have to get to know the business and know the various different constituents and, and to Chris and Ken's point, what they're looking for, what their motivations are as well, um, so you know what you're dealing with. And ultimately, the goal is to how to maximize the recovery to creditors, to how to be able to hopefully restructure a company, have it come out on the other side, um, so as you still have a, a, a company that's performing. Perhaps maybe it's smaller, it's a little bit leaner, you've gotten um, rid of some executory contracts and and that were burdensome to the company, but you know you have to sort of figure out what your end goal is here, and usually that is maximizing um, your recovery to the creditors. So I think you first have to look at all the out-of-court restructuring um, alternatives, such as UCC Article 9 sale, if there's some assets to, to sell, um, an assignment for benefit of creditors, receiverships, or out-of-court wind-down, and figure out if those actually make sense given the, the current situation that the company finds itself in, as well as how much of a runway it has to, to up to planning, you know, do you come in, a, you know, in the, the last hour and have to really quickly go into bankruptcy so as to get an automatic stay in place um, to keep the creditors that are knocking down the door? Do you have a little bit more time for a runway to p- do a soft landing of it? And then even in bankruptcy, and, and I think that the, the other factors that you look into as part of deciding to go to bankruptcy is, is the time factor. How much time do we have? Do we have enough time to go out and reach out to lenders and other parties to see if we can do a pre-pack bankruptcy where we have a pre-packaged bankruptcy go to bankruptcy court with the hope of, of getting that approved in very short order or pre-negotiated um, bankruptcy where you don't completely have the full plan and plan, plan agreements in, in place, but at least you have the support from the various different constituencies of different types of creditors to be able to go in there. So the time is in terms of what options are available to you is a critical factor. Also, the cost and expense. Bankruptcy has become very expensive, and particularly if you end up in a lot of litigation with various different parties, you have to figure out, you know, do you have the, the financing, do you have the unencumbered assets to be able to go into a chapter 11 bankruptcy. You can also go into a Chapter 7 liquidation, but that would be where a trustee would be appointed and you'd lose control of it. So you're really, when you're talking about a bankruptcy as a CRO, you're talking about a Chapter 11, which by nature is much more expensive. It could be a reorganization or a liquidation. Um, Then you also need to consider uh, creditor support. Uh, Will you have the creditor support necessary if you do go forward with a plan of reorganization? Is there a foundation there? Is there an entity that trade creditors or others want to keep on continuing to do business with? And I think you also have to look at what are the benefits that, that can be achieved in bankruptcy. Is there are there burdensome contracts and, and leases that that can be rejected in bankruptcy so to come out leaner, meaner, um, and more streamlined and prof- profitable? 
uh, is a 363 sale? Do you have a, you know, have you done your due diligence prior to going into bankruptcy if you're going to do a sale of all or substantially all of the debtor's assets? Is that something that can be done outside of bankruptcy? Or does the potential purchaser want the benefit of getting the property um, free and clear under Section 363? Or will the prospective purchaser be afraid of having the you know 363 process where it's subject to higher and better offers? How does that play in? How does that factor in? How can you use the bankruptcy process to maximize the sale of those assets? And also just being the, really the ability to continue your operations in a bankruptcy, which can be expensive in order to garner up the support um, necessary to either go through with a reorganization or a liquidating plan. Um, those are all factors that I think really come into play, you know, time, cost, expense, financing, creditor support, and the benefits of the bankruptcy code. And depending upon how much runway a CRO is brought in prior to a bankruptcy process, that also factors in as well, whether they actually have the time to set something up and be able to go forward and move forward with it. And you mentioned a 363 sale, um, and you, you talked about due diligence. What is the CRO's role in a 363 asset sale in a bankruptcy? Well, first of all, I think the the CRO's role is number one is 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 a three sixty three sale necessary. First of all, is it a sale that's outside of the ordinary course? And then you have to sort of drive the process, assuming that it is, because typically, as as we all know, three sixty three sales have become more of the norm. They're much more prevalent. A company goes into bankruptcy, they want to sell off all or substantially all of their assets in relatively quick order to maximize the recovery to creditors. And I think one of the, the first roles of a, of a CRO is certainly to maximize the, the price of the assets um, and the ability to close, because you can get the highest price in the world, but if you can't close the deal, then it's not going to do anyone any good. And I think in order to, to drive that practice, you really need to understand the various different parties that are involved in the process. You've got the creditors committee that wants to open up the process to potentially as many people as possible and also make sure that they have a seat at the table in connection with that. Um, you have to you have to balance that interest against the prospective purchaser. Hopefully you have a what's called a stalking horse um, where you've got somebody who's ready to sort of set the, the floor for the purchase price. You have to balance that against protecting them to make sure that they don't walk away. And then you have secured lenders who want to make sure that they have the right to credit bid. So uh, as part of the continuing theme of a of a CRO, you really have to deal with, communicate with, and try to garner as much consensus with all these various different constituents in order to, A, maximize the sale price for a 363 sale, as well as make sure that it closes. And I think the the book talks to the various different constituents and different concerns that uh, they have and that you have to be aware of. And part of then, once you sort of figure out that process, you have to go through the mechanics of, of a 363 sale. Everything from, you know, setting up the confidentiality agreement to the bidding procedures to the sale, the auction, and how you want to control the auction as to who can attend and who can be there um, in order to, again, maximize the, the purchase price and, and the closing on it. You need the CRO to um, be at the helm devising the plan, the strategy, by working with all the various constituents, including the other officers of the company, the the creditors of the company, what they want, the creditors committee, the secured lenders, um, uh, all within the parameters of of a bankruptcy code, in order to ensure that that sale goes forward. So it's a very it, they should be you know 
guiding the company through this and instituting strategies based upon their experience and knowledge in the industry and the bankruptcy court system and process in order to complete the sale. And Ken, I'm going to throw you a, a question. Um, as, a, as a creditor in a case, um, is it easier, in your opinion, to have a CRO in that role as kind of the person in charge of the asset sale as opposed to the debtor in possession, especially in a smaller case where you may have some emotional ties that the debtor has or, or some emotional baggage that the debtor may have going into a sale? Is, I mean, are you looking for somebody who's, who's kind of a, in a neutral position to, to be at the, the, you know, the lead person in a sale like that? Yeah, I think that in, in the smaller, mid-sized cases, a CRO can add tremendous value because the CRO can see the forest from the trees. And that's often very important to concluding a bankruptcy case, uh, you know, in, in short order, rather than spending a lot of time fighting over issues that uh, that the principle of the debtor simply cannot resolve or cannot fully understand. Bringing in a CRO puts someone inside the debtor who can see the world not just from the debtor's perspective, but from the perspective of creditors, and also can see the world without the jade or the varnish of, uh, of of a principal of the debtor who's been with the company for many, many years. So I think that the CRO uh, in the long term may actually save the estate a lot of money because the, the, the CRO is sort of charged with communicating with the debtor's board to make sure that the debtor's board has a, uh, what I call a, a holistic view of the bankruptcy. Uh, so I think that's that's very beneficial when you're representing a creditors committee, because one of the things that creditors committee wants is for the debtor to be getting the right advice, um, and if the debtor is not getting advice from 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 someone who understands the dynamics of plan negotiations or the dynamics of the sale process, uh, that can only lead to fighting between the creditors committee and the debtor. And Chris, Ken mentioned that there was reporting requirements that the CRO had to a, a company's board. How does the CRO differ, if at all, from a CEO? On one hand, I think the CRO and the CEO are similar because they're both officers of the company and they both report to the board of directors. However, on that other hand, both roles can be very different depending on how the engagement is set up. Uh, traditionally, a, a CEO runs the company from an operational perspective, and he oversees the, the day-to-day business operations of the company, while traditionally a CRO runs the company from a restructuring point of view, in, and that is restructuring the debt and getting it through a, uh, a Chapter 11 case. But there's several different ways that you can structure the retention of a CRO and the relationship between the CEO and the CRO. Um, you can retain a CRO to either just run the restructuring aspect of the case and deal with bankruptcy and other distressed issues, um, or you can run the, the you can uh, retain the CRO to run the company both from an operational perspective and from a restructuring perspective. Um, you may see this type of situation in some of the large Chapter 11s that have recently been filed where a CRO is brought in to both restructure the company and to run the company, but they're they're running the company on an interim basis while the company is out looking for a permanent CEO that will take over after the company emerges from bankruptcy. Um, or maybe a situation where you don't have that situation with a new CEO potentially coming in. You have a 
situation where the CEO was let go pre-petition. He was replaced by a chief restructuring officer who was both running the company and running the restructuring during the Chapter 11. And you're using the bankruptcy process as a way to determine what is the what is going to be the management of the company after the Chapter 11. Um, you see that type of situation where there's a fight between the different levels of debt in the case about who's going to run the company when they come out of Chapter 11. Um, the CRO is really running the company on a almost interim basis while that fight plays out in bankruptcy court. And then however that plays out and the, the debt level that comes out of the you know, the owner of the company after bankruptcy gets to put in their CEO after the, uh, after the case emerges from bankruptcy. So I think depending on what your end game is going into the bankruptcy can really distinguish the role between the CEO and the CRO. But in its simplest context, the CEO is the, the person that's going to run the company from a day-to-day perspective um, and deal with all the business operations while the CRO is going to be the, the individual that's overseeing the, the bankruptcy side of the case. And I think as we've all talked about throughout this call is the bankruptcy aspect of these cases takes up a considerable amount of time. And the larger the company or, you know, it, it can't even put it, even the, the smaller the company, you have instances where it's just not enough time for the CEO to both oper- operationally restructure a company and restructure the debt of a company. So that's the situation where you're going to have to bring in a CRO to oversee the bankruptcy aspect, but you may leave the CEO in place to restructure the operational side or just to run the day-to-day business structure of the company, just because the bankruptcy process alone is going to take up too much time for the CEO to devote you know, enough of his time to both sides of the fence to be able to effectively run the company. And Chris, what's the difference between a a Chapter 11 trustee and a CRO? Well, a Chapter 11 trustee is different in that a Chapter 11 trustee is appointed by the court, typically after motion by a party in interest to run the company. So after the court approves the appointment of a Chapter 11 trustee, um, the court puts the Chapter 11 trustee in, who's a completely independent entity um, that has had no relationship with the company prior to the bankruptcy case. And then they are charged of running the company um, from its day-to-day operations upon their appointment. Um, you typically see a Chapter 11 trustee appointed when you're dealing with cases of fraud or gross mismanagement, and you really need to replace the CEO for reasons that, or the, the creditors are trying to replace the management for reasons, not that the company ended up in bankruptcy, but the company ended up in bankruptcy because of fraud or mismanagement, and you need an independent fiduciary um, put in to run the company. While CRO is really put in, in order to just run the company while the parties in interest determine what's the best direction uh, for the company to take through the and out of a bankruptcy. This is Ken Rosen. Just one, one, one quick thought on that. A, the appointment to the CRO can be a, a means of avoiding a Chapter 11 trustee because it provides all of the other parties in interest with someone who has uh, credibility and impartiality in terms of running the bankruptcy process and also running the debtor's business. This, this is Melissa. Another important difference um, with a CRO versus a Chapter 11 trustee, too, uh, is that once you appoint a Chapter 11 trustee in a case, you typically would, the debtor would lose control. It goes over, as Chris noted, to an independent party. Um, and also, as part of losing that control, you no longer the debtor no longer would have exclusivity to file a plan. 
that is listed um, as compared to a CRO who's there. You typically have your, your regular exclusivity period to, to file a plan, which is an important part of control of the Chapter 11 process. And Ken, we've talked about the um, CRO's role as kind of being a consensus builder throughout, and that's really one of his or her most important roles. But how how is does that is that the same role that the CRO has in the plan process? Um, Melissa mentioned um, you know the plan a little bit, but what's the CRO's role in the plan process? I think the the principal role of a CRO is to bring about consensus. Mm-hmm. Um, we've seen you know lots of cases where. The cases drag on for a very long period of time for the simple reason that uh, each of the parties has uh, divergent interests. So I think the most valuable role that a CRO can play is understanding the needs of each each constituent party, understanding how those needs can be accommodated, and trying to build a bridge so that everybody gets on the same page in terms of a plan of reorganization. No, it's a tall order. Um, but uh, Chris, we've talked a lot about um, the role of the CRO, and we've talked about some of these other um, issues that a CRO faces. But I know that those are just a few topics that are covered in in the guide. What other generally? What other topics does the guide discuss that CROs need to understand or be aware of? Well, absolutely. As as we discussed, the book really goes from the point of the retention of a CRO all the way through closing a bankruptcy case, but. In between, there's a, a lot of very important steps that are taken and a lot of information that is covered in the book. I mean, starting off with the retention of a CRO, one of the difficult issues that you face in places like Delaware and New York, um, where a lot of the major bankruptcies are pending, is the J. Alex Protocol, which, deals, which governs the retention terms that a CRO and his firm you know, must adhere to. Uh, the book goes through the terms of the J. Alex Protocol, how it came about, and how it is uh, adopted in, uh, in major jurisdictions. I think we also get into, you know, not only is bankruptcy an option, but a CRO, if he's retained pre-petition, has other options besides bankruptcy. There's you know, assignments for the benefit of creditors. There's UCC Article 9 sales. There's other mechanisms other than bankruptcy that may be the best option for the distressed company. Um, that is discussed in the book. And that leads to chapters on bankruptcy planning, that when a decision is made to file a Chapter 11, you know, what needs to be done? And it's not just sitting down and drafting a lot of first aid pleadings, which everyone's used to seeing. It's really the information gathering that gets you to the point where you can draft those first aid pleadings, as well as planning your employees, planning your vendor body, you know, planning your, your lenders other than your, your primary secured lender, equipment lenders, parties like that, and getting them prepared for a Chapter 11 filing and letting them know it's coming so that when you go in, everyone's fully aware of what is going to happen, that it's going to be business as usual, and it's not going to affect your relationships, hopefully, when the, the Chapter 11 petition's filed. I think the book also gets into important issues with bankruptcy reporting requirements. Um, the one thing that changes a company when they're in Chapter 11, whether they're privately held or publicly held company, that a lot of companies are not used to, is that it's a very public forum. There's the statement of uh, financial affairs and the schedule of assets and liabilities that lists all of a company's debt and all of a company's liabilities and publicly releases where your bank accounts are held and in your monthly operating reports publicly releases all of the information going in and out of those bank accounts. So the book walks you through what those reporting requirements are, 
It walks you through the 363 process and the plan process that we discussed today. Um, and it even gets into bankruptcy litigation and important issues that if it's not a plan of reorganization or, or if it's not a, a, a fulsome sale of what to look for on potential causes of action that may lead to recovery for creditors gets into evaluate, you know, evaluate the preference liability of your vendors, potential fraudulent transfers, and even covers um, the aspects of you know, complex D&O litigation that may be available if there were some issues pre-petition with the board and its management. And I think the book culminates in a chapter on how to close the case and getting into claims reconciliation, how to deal with administrative claims and professional fees, filing your final tax returns, and really just dissolving the company at the end of the day. So it, it's a, a soup-to-nuts approach of retention through the bankruptcy case to closing a case that touches on everything. But the, what I think is the great thing about the book is while it does touch on everything, the ABI has a complete library of books that dig into all of the issues that are in this book in much more detail. But this book gives you the very gives you a fairly detailed analysis of each point, and if you need to dig into it further, there's other resources to go to to get more information. And Chris, the thing I think I like most about the book is that it is really written for a business uh, person. It's not written for a lawyer. It's written for someone who is um, uh, facing the job of serving as a chief restructuring officer, and I think that's great. And although we're out of time today um, and can't cover all those um, topics, uh, which are really fantastic, I encourage our listeners to discover more about the role and responsibilities of the chief restructuring officer by purchasing the chief restructuring officer guide to bankruptcy from our online bookstore at bookstore.abi.org. In addition, the book will also be available in electronic format on Kindle through Amazon.com and iBooks, sorry, through iTunes. So thank you very much, Chris, Melissa, and Ken for authoring the book and for joining us today. Thank you. Thank Thank you. Have a nice day. And we thank our audience for joining us for this podcast. You can hear or download over 130 ABI podcasts at news.abi.org slash podcasts. So from the American Bankruptcy Institute, this is Amy Quackenboss. Thank you for listening and have a great day.